Our second reading is taken from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, and it can be found on page 1228 of the Pew Bibles. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, uh, Marlene, for reading that passage of scripture for us. I encourage you to keep your Bibles open to uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4, which is our text for uh, this morning. Uh, Let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray for us as families this morning in this place, as mums and dads, as children, grandparents, aunts, uncles, for uh, strong relationships within our homes. Uh, We confess to you the challenges of parenting, the responsibilities entrusted to parents, to children, Lord. We give you thanks to them. We pray that you bless our homes. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, friends, this morning uh, we continue to work our way through the book of Ephesians and we will look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 4 on the topic, a word to children, dads and mums. I'm no expert on this topic whatsoever, but we are going to look at God's word. It is important for us. It's a challenging topic as well, but it is so practical because All of us have families, we live and function within families, and society is made up of families. The family is the foundation of culture and society throughout the centuries. And the family is under constant threat. There is no doubt about that. The social engineering that is going on behind the scenes to redefine what family looks like is on the go, isn't it? We are facing those challenges right here in Australia and across the world. Uh, Families are dysfunctional. We live in a fallen world and society. And so there is this massive urge to redefine what a family looks like. To redefine human sexuality. To redefine the role of husbands and, and, and wives, dads and moms. To say, for example, that you don't need to have a dad and a mom. Uh, It's all neutral. That's the kind of challenge that is taking place right in our society, and particularly in the Western world. And this morning, we should be reminded that God cares for families. That family matters to God. He cares for the way families function. And he has given us a structure on how to be a family. Families are wonderful, aren't they? Think about your own families. I think about my family. I grew up in a home. I'm the, I'm the only child. So I didn't have brothers and sisters. Nobody to fight with me. Nobody to argue. With. Oh, what a shame. Nobody that I could annoy. Nobody annoyed me. It was me and myself and my toys and my friends. That's it. But families are wonderful. I used to sit with my parents. They were wonderful parents. They still are. And 
I used to talk with them in the night. I used to have dinner at 9.30 in the night. 10 o'clock was dinner time for us. 10 o'clock in the night. Believe that? I always sit down after dinner and chat away on the bed. And there were family times that I really recall, remember and enjoy. And I think about our own family. Uh, the times that we would sit around and talk and enjoy and, and laugh and then debate and, and have the dynamics of family life issues and challenges and tears and all of those things that comes within a family dynamic. That's wonderful. It's where you can be at home. You take the rocker recliner. I have a recliner chair at home. It's, a, it's not a recliner. It's a rocker chair. And the kids don't sit on that chair because they know it's dad's chair. I sit there and I rock away. Do you have a dad's chair in your home? No. Oh, guys, anyway, it doesn't matter. The point is, it all happens in the home. It all happens at the family life. It's a busy time if you've got young kids. Moms are taxi drivers, fathers are taxi drivers, you've got sports on Saturday. I miss that, I miss going, I must say, to, to see our kids play sport um, and, uh, and have that camaraderie with other parents. It's fantastic, I think. It's wonderful. But it's also challenging. It's really, it is challenging as well. And the point is that God does care for our families. He cares of what, of, of what happens in our homes, how we relate to each other, how we talk to one another, how we support each other, how we encourage one another. The dynamics of family is intense, it is challenging, it is personal, and it is wonderful. So, Paul talks to families. He began by addressing the family unit, the husbands and wives, in Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 33. It was dealt with last week. A husband is to lead his wife lovingly and display servant leadership in his relationship with his wife. That's, uh, that's what Paul says. Husbands, um, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And then he has a word to wives. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And what is the reason for this submission? It's very clearly stated. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, I was discussing this last week with one of my colleagues, and he said, Chris, I hope you don't get any tomatoes or eggs thrown on you while from the ladies in the congregation. I said, of course not. Because this word submission seems to be a dirty word. It's not really the case. If it's properly defined and understood, uh, it, it works very well in the context of a family situation, a husband and wife. You see, this does not mean that the wife is a bystander in the relationship. I also make that very clear. She's a woman in her own right and needs to be confident in her role as a woman and as a wife. There is nothing biblically wrong with that. And any husband will do well to bring his wife along to be a confident woman in the relationship. Sadly, one thinks of Napoleon Bonaparte's comment. It doesn't sit well. Women are nothing but machines for producing children. That was his take. It's wrong. This is certainly not the case. There is no room for abuse, oppression, 
or suppression by a husband, physical, emotional or otherwise, to his wife. Because he is the head. And it, just because he is the head, it doesn't mean that he can do this and say, Wife, prepare me a cup of tea. Wife, bring my dinner. It did work for a little while for me when I lost, when I lost my voice. When I lost my voice, I thought, Pros, do this. Kids, bring that. No, I couldn't talk, so it was this. It doesn't work like that, right? We think it can. It doesn't work. It's not the way God intends us blokes to treat our wives. There is no room for abuse. And I say this seriously because I have sat through, and we have sat through counseling sessions where wives have been abused by their husbands in Christian circles. And it's broken my heart, and it still does. No way. The wife is to lovingly submit to her husband as he leads her by exercising his role as a husband, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. The husband's leadership is sacrificial and Christ-like leadership. It is, a, it is one of servant and humble leadership, and the submission of the wife to her husband is set within the context of recognizing that the husband is the head. Now, having spoken... About this submission. It is very clear that God would expect that order in the family relationship. Now having spoken to husbands and wives, he now has a word to children and parents. He says children are to submit to their parents by obeying them and honoring them. And later Paul will address the relationship between slaves and masters. Ephesians chapter 5 verses, sorry chapter 6 verses 5 to 9. By the way, I must say that there are copies of notes available. Uh, Keith Watson has got some copies. If you want to get it, please see him. Uh, the, the entire sermon document is available, by the way. And so later Paul does address uh, the relationship between slaves and masters. So this morning, let's look at uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Uh, there are uh, three headings that I want to look at this, uh, in, this, in this passage uh, this morning. One is a word about children, a word to children, and a word to fathers, and I put that in brackets, parents. So that's, that's the broad outline that we're going to look at uh, this morning. Well, a word about children. Well, what about children, friends? How do we see our children, those of us who are parents, and those of you who long to be parents one day, and who will be married one day, and perhaps those who are grandparents here this morning, and those who are single and have no, no children, well, you might say this sermon is not applicable to me. But you might know families, you might know children, you might know nieces and nephews in families, and you can work in that context as well. How do we see children? You see, Psalm 139 makes the point. For you created my inmost being, the psalmist says. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The psalmist says this as we go along. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. So the psalmist was saying here, was reflecting upon God's creating work in putting together a human being, an infant, a child in a mother's womb. The beginning of human life is an amazing and magnificent thing. It is the creative work of God. It is the forming of a human being in the womb. And we can never cease to be amazed at the gift of life 
the gift of a newborn child. The fetus is a person created by the image of God. Life is a gift from God and every child deserves the love and care of his or her parents because every child is precious. Jesus reiterated this when he spoke and when he took the children in his arms and he blessed them. Now, brothers and sisters, friends, we live, sadly, we live in a fallen world where children are at times abused. Correct? There is no place for child abuse in the home, in the church, or in society. But it happens. We live in a fallen world. This is why, for example, here, the Presbyterian Church of Australia, we have the safe church unit. Established in the PCA to take every step possible to prevent the abuse of children. It cannot be done. And so sadly we live in a world where there is so much child abuse. Take for example child labor. The recent statistics on World Day Against Child Labor 2015 says this. There are, have a guess, 168 million approximate children employed in child labor worldwide. How's that for a number? A staggering number, isn't it? These are the facts and figures about child forced labor. According to the International Labor Organization, child labor includes children who are forced to take part in armed conflict, such as child soldiers, girls taken as wives for soldiers and militia members. According to Anti-Slavery International, there are around 300,000 child soldiers involved in over 30 areas of conflict around the world. How is that? Where, is the right, where are the rights of the child? Do we consider it? Does the society consider the rights of the child? I don't think so. You see, mums and dads, as parents, we have a significant role in the nurture and care of children. And mums and dads are stewards of their children. And every child deserves a great upbringing and, and a society to live in and to blossom and to cherish and to flourish. Don't you think so? Isn't that any parent's deep desire to see your child flourish in his or her life? And I have seen, my dear friends, parents in tears trying to bring up their children and who can't provide a meal for their children. I've seen it growing up in Sri Lanka. I've been doing ministry, done ministry there, both Rose and myself have been to poor homes and our hearts break to see a father's mother's tears that they can't provide for their child. And there is so much of sadness. And that's why I encourage us to be generous, to take care, to, to provide so that we can look after even children who are in need in this world. So, now think for a moment about the different stages of the life of a child very quickly. There's the birth, the infancy stages, the crawling, the kid goes around every place and you put locks and watch your TV and your cupboards and all of those things. There's the talking stage. First word is daddy always. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, whatever, mom or dad, doesn't matter. Anyway, uh, walking and then suddenly the schooling stage and then the first day at kinder and the tears. I don't know about you, when we saw our children going to kinder the first stage, it was all yeah, emotional. And then the primary school, then the high school, then the driving. Then you think, wow, 
What do you do next? Right? And then the adulthood, and so it goes on, and you don't, if you're a parent, you don't sleep till you hear the car come back and drives into your driveway, no matter what you do, you always wake up, wait for your children. You see, you look at the different stages in a child's life, and it's apparent that parents, we have a brief time with our children or child. Soon they will grow up and will be gone out of the home in no time. And the point is, I was reading some books about this topic. And say, one of the authors said in this book, and this is not rocket science, said, don't rush through the experience of parenting, but savor every moment and enjoy the different stages of your child's journey in life. Because very soon they'll be gone as well from the home. You know. Gone are the days when some of us, anyway, as parents, can carry our children and walk around and give them their hugs and everything. They grow up so quickly and they're gone. So, a word to, about children. A word now to children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. So, children, obey. Obey your parents. Obedience to parents is part of the natural law which God has written on all human hearts. Um, look at this, for example, Romans chapter 2. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, this is important, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So even non-Christians, the world in general, God has written in their hearts this obedience, this respect to parents. All civilizations across the world regard the recognition of parental authority and respect as something that is deeply important. It is important for a stable society. And Paul is here addressing the church family. He's talking to Christians. He's talking to the church family. And he is saying that it is important for parents to have a good relationship with their children and for children to have a good relationship with their parents. And this comes in the context of obedience. Children, obey your parents. The word obey means to listen, to hearken, to hearken to a command, to be submissive, to submit to. That's the, that's the word that is used here. It's a command that's been used here. They are to submit to their parents. Is it easy to submit to parents? Kid, uh, young people in particular, don't raise your hands. You might be in trouble. But the point is, it's never easy at times. It is challenging. I mean, I remember my parents saying to me things that uh, when I used to go out and I used to come home very late, you should be home at a certain time, and I didn't come home at that time. I didn't have a car for myself at 18. Young people here, yeah, most people, you have cars. But there's Grandpa Sri Lanka, I never had a car. I was take the bus and walk through the dark in the nights. And my parents would be furious sometimes. But I disobeyed them. They said, don't take your bike out when you're going late in the night. But I used to take my cycle and ride all over the place. I've done it. It's never easy to disobey. It, it's, it's easy to disobey. It's in our human nature. But Paul is saying, obey. Submit to parents. Paul's point is that Christian children are to obey their parents in the Lord. It is submitting to the authority that God has designed for a family. Why? Because, look at your text. Look at what Paul says. Why? Because this is right. This is righteous. 
Precisely because children do disobey their parents, which is not right, Paul says, do this because it is right, it is proper, it is good, it is God's design. And so the command to obey one's father and mother carries with it the broader implications of obedience in general, such as obeying one's teacher, obeying one's leaders, obeying the laws of the country, obeying duly instituted authority. Let me say this. It's very possible that those who cannot obey their fathers and mothers in the home may find it challenging to obey leaders whom God has established in positions of authority outside the home and in the church. Correct? And when the family structure breaks down, what do we see in our society? Young people living disobedient lives. Correct? There is no respect And so we all cry out. And we say, oh, we're going to teach respect classes. We're going to teach values classes. You heard that? We're going to teach ethics. Where are the ethics coming from? What ethics are we going to teach our children? Now, there's nothing wrong in teaching values. Whatever is good, whatever is noble, we rejoice with those things. Don't get me wrong. But where do we get those ethics? Where do we get those values? Where do we get those moral standards? You see what I'm saying? It can become so subjective without a base. But for Christians, our ethics, our values, our morals comes from, where is it? From God's word. That becomes the basis of our morals, our values. So by nature, we don't like authority and we don't want to submit. Just like Adam and Eve did not submit. They rebelled against God. Paul makes the point very clearly in Romans. This is what he says in Romans 1.28. Have a look at this text. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. This is God handing over a society as they turn their backs on God. Remember this, friends. These are massive consequences for our society. Not just now, but in years to come. And I pray God will not turn his face away from Australia. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, he gave them up to a debased mind. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, etc. And then, disobedient to? Who is it? Parents. And so when children become disobedient to parents... It has an impact on society. We don't respect authority in the home. We will not respect it outside of the home. So we have to honor and respect parents because it is not only in in accord with the natural law, but it is also in keeping with God's law. And so Paul says, honor your father, verses 2 and 3. Your mother, this is the first commandment, the promise that it may go well uh, with you in the land um, that you are living. That, that, That it may, sorry, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Do we see that, friends? This commandment deals with the relationships. God accompanied this fifth commandment with a promise. What does it mean to honor your father and mother? What does it mean? Well, this word honor comes from a Hebrew word. It is a word the Old Testament uses for the glory of God, for the weightiness of His majesty. To honor one's parents, therefore, is to give due weight to their position. It is to give them the recognition that they deserve 
for their God-given authority. To honor is to respect, esteem, value and prize fathers and mothers as gifts from whom? From God. That's what the word honor means. What a challenge to children to honor, to respect, to esteem, to value, to prize their parents. And why should children honor their parents? There are many reasons. One is because God has designed it that way. But think about the sacrifices they make for you. Think about how they have provided for you. Think about the times that they have gone out of their way for you. I was talking to a father this last week and he said to me, Chris, myself and my wife, we made sacrifices for our children. We sent them to to private schools. I could have bought five houses with all the money that I've saved, (laughs) that I've spent on our kids. It it costs massive amounts to bear up a kid. But you can never put a monetary value on a child. But think about those sacrifices. But above all these reasons, children are to obey their parents because it pleases the Lord. Christian children are to obey their parents for this is right. And how does this show in practice? It shows by the way we speak to our parents. Correct? By the way we respect their guidance. It shows by the way we show care to our parents. Especially to those of us who have elderly parents. It's a care. It's a challenge. Some of us do have elderly parents here, right? It's never an easy challenge. Yesterday, Rosa and myself, we visited my parents and we had a, a, a good conversation with them about their future as their health seems to fade away. What is our responsibility to our elderly parents? Do we push them aside? Do we say, it's now, you know, I'm uncomfortable with you getting so old. It's your business. Honoring parents is also taking care for them as well. See, Augustine, one of the early church fathers, spoke of the importance of the fifth commandment by posing a rhetorical question. He said this, If anyone fails to honor his parents, is there anyone he will spare? One writer puts it this way, God intends the family to be our first hospital. When a child cuts his finger or something, there's the band-aid that comes around. Right? Mother has got it all made there. It becomes the first hospital. It becomes the first school. It becomes the first government. It becomes the first church. And it is in the home that relationships are established. So, the commandment insists that both fathers and mothers are to be honored. May your father and mother be glad. May she who gave you birth rejoice. So you notice in this commandment, honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. What are we to make of this? Does it mean, friends, that you're going to live for 200 years? (laughs) Does it mean that if someone dies young that the person has not obeyed his, his or her parents? The expression live long in the land is a Hebrew phrase for the fullness of God's blessings. And what is in view here is my understanding is that, that God's blessings upon, God will bless those children who honor their parents. And how he will do this, it's a matter for God. How these blessings will be bestowed is a matter for God who is the giver of every blessing. And he will bless you. Can we trust him for that? His blessings are in wonderful, aren't they? And he's the giver of every good and perfect gift. He's the one who can bless us abundantly. And he will bestow those blessings. 
That's how we can see this commandment. Now, some of you may struggle with this commandment if you have struggled with your parents. Perhaps your relationship was not good with your parents or it's not good right now, I don't know. Then how do you handle this commandment? If this is the case, deal with the situation. Talk to your parents. Seek forgiveness. Forgive them if you need to. And ask God to extend grace to you and restore that relationship. Now a word to fathers as we move on. Fathers, verse 4. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul, having addressed children, goes on to address fathers. Spoken about mothers already in the fifth commandment. But he goes on specifically to address dads. What is his message to Christian fathers? Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Let me say this. At the time of writing this letter, we need to consider that in the Roman world, the father had absolute authority and power in the home. A Roman father had absolute power over his family. He could sell them as slaves. He could take the law into his hands, for the law was in his own hands. He can punish whom he liked, and he could even inflict the death penalty on his child. It was against this setting that Paul perhaps gave this direction. And he says, do not provoke your child. Fathers, do we spend time with your children? Talking to fathers with young children yes, specifically, or maybe older children. Um, the story is told of, uh, I read this book on raising, uh, raising them right by focus on the family, uh, about fathers. A husband once arranged to play golf with a few friends. Some of us love our golf. And when his colleagues got to the course, they noticed that he had four caddies with him. Four. So one of them said to him, that's a bit over the top, isn't it? Why do you have four caddies? Oh, the man replied vaguely, it's the wife's idea. She wants me to see more of the children. <laughs> she wants me to see more of the children. So the caddies were <laughs> reminded to him. I don't want to put any guilt trips on anyone playing golf here, but that's telling, isn't it? I think we get the idea. Of course, a man needs to work and provide for his family, of course. But it should not be at the expense of the children being starved at their father's time. And fathers are specifically asked not to provoke their children. They are not to provoke. The, the, the word that is used here is the word to arouse. To arouse to wrath. To provoke, exasperate, to anger of frustration so that you are raising the child to be in seething anger. Does it mean a father can never be angry with his children? Of course not. The point here is that you don't provoke your children so that they seed inside with resentment against you as a parent. And the relationship just breaks and breaks and breaks and goes away. What a sad thing that would be as a parent your dying day that you don't have a relationship with your child. I don't know. I think that would be the saddest thing for me. So don't provoke and cause a resentment that brings about that separation. And this has happened, friends. We have dealt with pastoral situations where this is a reality. It has happened in Christian families. So fathers, don't provoke. Now there are many ways of provoking 
Um, if we give you very, very quickly some ways, we can compare our children with other kids. Look at that child. Look at his grades. Look at what he's done. Look at what she's done. Look, 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 look. What about looking at your child? And not pushing your child beyond his or her abilities, but encouraging your child. Being alongside and say, well done, Timothy or Jono or, or Stephanie or whatever it is, the name is. Well done. Keep going, my son. Keep going, my daughter. We want to encourage you along the way. You don't have to be someone else. God has made you the way you are. We want you to excel in God's grace to do your best for Him. To live your life, not for my glory as a parent. To live the life that God has given you for His glory. You see, we can't live our lives in the lives of our children. We might have our own dreams. We want to say, oh, we want, you can, should be doing this, that and the other thing. And nothing wrong with encouraging them. But we want to pray that our children and us included will live for the glory of God. That you study for the glory of God. That you marry somebody for the glory of God. And I want to encourage parents to start praying for your children, for their future spouses in their lives. That God will provide godly spouses to our children. That our children will marry in the Lord, Right? All of these things are so practical. Don't provoke your child by never giving praise, by emotional abuse, by psychological abuse, by rejection, by favoritism, by showing no love, by constantly criticizing and bringing your child down and you are breaking that person down. Fathers are to be men that give godly servant Christ-like leadership in the home. Are fathers perfect? No. You talk to my children, they will tell you, no. And there are times that I have said to them, I'm sorry. Does it mean I submit to them? No. They need to submit to us as parents. But we need to acknowledge when we fail. The submission is to parents. It doesn't work the other way around. They are to be men, bring up their children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. While the father has this responsibility and discipline and instruction, this does not negate the mother's responsibility. Hear my son, your father's instruction and, what is it? Forsake not your, your what? Your mother's teaching. Because often the father is away. He might be playing golf. No. <laughs> he's busy, he's working, he's, he's got commitments and the mother is at home. The mother drives the child to school. The mother sees the child perhaps coming home and the mother has that opportunity of giving instruction and training your children. And so one of the Proverbs says this, train a child in the way he should go and when he's old he will not turn from it. Teach them God's word. We have no guarantee that our children will walk in Christ. We can't convert our children. Christ does that. But we can pray for them. Teach them God's word. Point them to Jesus. And this is not for two-parent families. There are scores of single parents, even in this congregation, who are honoring God in their homes and we need to support them. If you are a single father or mother, you continue on in the role that God has given to you with all the struggles of a single parent. It must be tough. The home is a school of theology, a place of instruction, a place of laughter and tears. Don't substitute the home for instruction, love and discipline. Hug them. 
When's the last time you hugged your children? Hmm? Love them. Discipline them. Even though it's hard. And train them in the Lord. So as we close the summary. This morning we have looked at God's word to children, mums and dads. A word about children, a word to children, a word to fathers and parents. God cares for the dynamics of our family. We can look to him to lead and guide both parents and children. I read this morning Psalm 121. Our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. As parents, let's look to him. Grandparents, look to him. As children, let's look to him to help us to live godly lives for Christ. Conclusion, the ordinary Christian family is simply ordinary Christian people who are living in the ordinary circumstances of life. But we do so, I put this here, we do so out of the extraordinary and extravagant grace of the gospel in Christ. And we trust the Lord to lead and guide us, to bless our homes, to bless our families. Will you pray with me for our families that we will be strong homes for Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge the challenges and pressures upon families. Thank you for your word. Pray for all mums and dads here, Lord. Help us to be godly parents to our children. We pray for children in our, in our lives. That they will learn to do what is right, to honor and respect their parents. We pray for the church family here. Help us to support each other in our roles. And finally, help us to submit to Christ. In Jesus' name, Amen.